Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wow, it's great to see so many faces. It looks like a lot of people are back from vacation, and that's a good thing. You know, we have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Is that okay? So we're going to kick off this series. It's called The the Disciple Needs to Be a, a Person Who Sacrifices. And if you guys will see a mirror that's out front there, Brett set that up for us. It's based off of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The base simply just says that we are to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. That's what we are supposed to do as disciples of Jesus Christ and followers who want to go deeper. We need to realize that we are a living sacrifice. And so we're going to go through a a six-week series of what it looks like to be somebody, to be a disciple who sacrifices. And so this morning, I get the honor of bringing God's Word and bringing this concept that the very first thing that God is looking for us to sacrifice is our heart. And I'll unpack that a little bit. But I wanted to first look at what does it mean to sacrifice, okay? And I want to start with this definition of sacrifice, an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as much more important or worthy, now, you guys will be able to see all this, these slides on the version app. And if you're following uh, along here in, in the live event, you guys will see these slides. But I want you guys to get that simple definition in your mind, okay? That that's all really sacrifice is, is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So many of you guys know I grew up here in Newark, and we moved here when I was three years old, so just five years ago. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> And so, and my dad, one of the things that markers that my dad had in his life was that he started working at National Can, which is in San Leandro, when I was born. So every year that I was alive, he, he knew how many years he had been there, been there. So he had been there, he's worked there for over 40 years. And my dad has been going through an interesting time because within this past year, he's lost like four really close people that he either used to work with or that he's known for a long, long time. And so he's being very reflective in this time. And so uh, I was actually at a funeral uh, with one of, my, uh, one of my uncles had passed away. My dad was there with me, and he took off his ring, and he gave it to me. And it's the ring that I'm wearing right now on my right hand. And it has three stripes on it and a diamond. And basically it's the, the ring that he got when he uh, uh, went past 30 years. National Canada given him this ring. He also has a watch that he had gotten... Um, when he hit 40 years there. And so he, he took off his, his ring and he gave it to me. This is like a month and a half ago, two months ago, that he gave it to me. And I was just thinking, wow, that's pretty amazing that, that you would just give it to me. And he's like, yeah, no, this ring means a lot to me. It signifies something. And um, I, I shared a story at the College of Young Adults way back when about uh, me visiting my dad one night. I used to sometimes bring his lunch, which actually was like at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. He used to work 10 to 7, 7 days a week at times. And I would go and visit him. And this is when I was a senior in high school. And I went up in there and I, and I shared the story of how impactful it was for me. But just real quickly, um, my dad used to have this station there. He was a machinist. And at his tool station, he used to have... Um, uh, hang up several things. Obviously, his tools were there. But one uh, night that I brought him his lunch, I came in and I had noticed that he had all the clippings of all my sporting events. Yeah, of all my football games and all the little league games and all this stuff. There's this wall of stuff. Um, and I had two brothers and two sisters. And, and here's my section was here. My brothers was here. And, I, and, I, and it really affected me personally. But then uh, the other day, I asked my dad, 
you know, that was really cool that you did that. And he said, yeah. And I said, why did you do that? He goes, because it reminded me of how important and how big my sacrifice was just to get up every night to put my work boots on and get here because I wanted to sacrifice so that you guys would have a better opportunity. You see, it was a reminder that there's a sacrifice that he was willing to pay, right? It was something that he was willing to give up, his very self, right? 10 to 7, at 10 p.m. to 7 in the morning every single day, sometimes seven days a week, he needed to get to work to look at that wall and say, no, this is something, my kids are more of value to me. You see, and I didn't find out till later on that my dad had serious artistic potential. He knew how to do oil paints and water, watercolor and all these drawings and sketchings and shadings and all. He was such a talented person and he never, ever had a chance to do that. Why? Because he was willing to sacrifice, you see. So I wanted to define what sacrifice is as an act of giving up something valued. For the sake of something else regarded as more important. I want you guys to get that idea in your mind. I want you to to see this verse in Genesis 3-7. First sacrifice in the Bible. Genesis 3-7 simply says this. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. Made themselves loincloths. This is obviously after they had done what? Taken a bite of the fruit, right, or apple, whatever you want to say it. And so they, they all of a sudden, they, they understood that they were naked, and they, they got some fig leaves, right, and they sewed it together and put it on themselves. And then further fast forward, there's some consequences because of that. But I want you to catch that Adam and Eve were the ones who put that together. Genesis 3.21, further down in the cha- same chapter, it says this, after God told them what the, what the what was going to happen because of that. Verse 21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Guess what had to happen in order for them to be clothed with skins? Something had to be what? Sacrificed, right? So we see God's bigger picture, his plan all along. He understood that there's going to be times in our lives when we try to clothe ourselves. When we try to to get to that place of righteousness on our own, whether it be by good deeds, good acts, whatever it might be, these external things that we would try to do to make ourselves feel good about who we are, to make ourselves feel good that, no, we are a good person. There's going to be times, just like Adam and Eve, that we would try to sew these things together to make ourselves feel good. And God is saying, no, that is not good enough. There's only one person that can make us good enough, and that's who Jesus Christ eventually was, right? He was the ultimate sacrifice. So God had this plan all along that he would make a covering, that he would make a way for us to be able to even offer up our hearts to him. He's the one. So, the heart of the matter. And I, and I got this actually from Strong's word study, and I did a, a, a good study on what it means. What does the heart mean in biblical terms? I'm just going to read this to you. It is clear that the Bible is more concerned with the heart as the location of moral, ethical, and spiritual activity and attitudes. In one sense, the heart is the center of a person's character in the Old Testament. Often the Hebrew word for heart can be translated as mind as well as heart. This other word, libab, is synonym of leb, both words occurring together. Listen to this, 850 times. Do you think God is concerned with our heart? 
The Old Testament authors do not focus on the physical heart. Instead, they speak of the spiritual heart, the heart that needs to be renewed and cleansed by God. And that's from Strong's, straight up. Isn't that interesting? That, that's what God is talking about. He's talking about this moral, ethical, and spiritual attitude. The heart is the center of a person's character, okay? If you ever spend time with anybody, there's a chance that you'll be able to see their character, be able to see their heart just by spending time with that, with that person. So what is in need? Then a heart transplant is in need, right? If we were saying that, man, our heart is unhealthy, our heart is not right, then we need to have this transplant that needs to happen. Now, some of you guys might have known my older brother. Uh, his name was Lance. The guy was, uh, he was such a great athlete, such a great athlete. And growing up, he always uh, had this aptitude for sport. Later on in life, he, he was driving, I think he was in his late 20s, and he was driving along the road, and he didn't feel right, so he immediately went home, and he said, man, I feel like I'm going to faint. And so he called my, at the time, my cousin who worked at a hospital, and he goes, man, I don't feel right. Can you tell? And he, he said, why don't you do this? Take a look at your fingernails. So he did that. He goes, if you can't, if the moons on your fingernails are turning purple, then you need to go to emergency right now. So he looked at his hands, and sure enough, the moons of his fingernails were turning purple. So he went to the hospital. Immediately, they took him into the emergency room. They gave him an x-ray, and it turned out that half of his heart was like nine times the size it was supposed to be, that he had a congenital heart issue. In other words, the blood was building up on one and a couple of the chambers on this side, and it was not making its way on the, to the other side. So they immediately, they immediately gave him some blood thinners and all these other, they immediately did this emergency stuff. You see, he had a bad heart, and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it until he was in his late 20s and all this stuff, and he almost died from it. You see, one of the first things that we need to do is realize that, man, our heart is in a bad way. To realize right off the bat that, no, there's nothing good in me. To realize that my, my righteousness is as filthy rags, just as the Bible says. And I think part of us don't realize that we think we're walking around. We think that we have a healthy heart, spiritually healthy heart, and we don't. And that's one of the first places that we need to start. And that's why this message is first. It's not second. It's not third. It's not fourth. It's not fifth. It's not sixth. It's the first place that we need to start. Because what does God want? What does he require? What does he, is he after? He's after our heart, right? He's after the spiritual condition. He's not after our works, guys. We could do all kinds of great things in our community. We could do a ton of great things. Don't get me wrong. But if we get this one piece wrong, we are going to be like a clanging cymbal, right? If we don't have love, if we're not motivated, if our heart is not healthy, we're not going to be able to run that 10K. We're not going to be able to run this whatever God course that God has set before us. We're not going to be able to execute this great vision, right, that even God has put before us. If what? If our heart, if our heart is not healthy, so the very first thing I want you to, to, to remember, there's four things. There's, I'll start with R. And I do this for me so I can remember it. Realize that my heart is not healthy. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all what? With all your heart. So if we are going to return to the Lord, that means that we had to do what? There is at some point we probably had to... We probably left him, right? If we're going to return to somebody, that means that we, we left them at some point. 
And there might be some of us that have left, like left, left, like left the building, like left the country, like left the earth. There might be some of us that have a heart that has done that. There's some of us that might just say, man, I just left the Lord this morning as I was driving here. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, there has to be an understanding that my heart is not right. That there's something in my heart that, guess what, that I was born with. A sinful nature, right? Which makes our heart what? Not healthy. You see, that was the issue with my brother. He, he had this issue since birth, and they didn't catch it. One of his valves was too small to transfer the blood into the other chamber. You see, they didn't find that out until they x-rayed it. And guess what God is doing even right now in this very room? He's x-raying our hearts so that we could see it, right? That we could see it right now, even as I speak. You are probably thinking to yourself, wow, my heart is not healthy. Lindsay is right. And it's not me saying that it's right. It's just God showing you the x-ray of your own heart. David often said it, right? Search me, O God, and see if there be anything not of you. He said that in Psalm 139. Search me now. Isn't it hard to even do that? To realize that my heart is not healthy means that we have to take an honest look at ourselves. And isn't it easier to look at somebody else and say, oh, their heart is terrible. Look how pale they are. Right? Oh, they're, they're so unhealthy. It's harder for us to even look. And that's why we have the mirror out there. We need to realize first and foremost that if we are to return to the Lord with our heart, that means that at some point we left with our heart too. That's why it's the first thing that we have to bring back. It's this realization. Realize that my heart is not healthy. Return to me with what? With all your heart. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And guess what was happening when Joel was writing this? God's people were taken captive, right? They were taken captive. And they're wondering why. It's because their heart was not healthy. Realize. That's the first thing I want you to remember. Realize that my heart is not healthy. The second thing that a heart transplant requirement, rend and hand over. I was looking at the, the, the definition for rend, and this is pretty interesting. It says to uh, tear, to rip apart, to split, to rupture, to sever, to wrench something violently, to go- cause great emotional pain to a person or their heart. That's what this word rend means. It's a very violent picturing, right? That we we get this idea that rend. What does that mean? Rend. It means it's this violent tearing, this violent ripping, this violent motion, right? To cause great emotional pain to a person or their heart to wrench. He rent the, he bent the tree. You guys ever tried to to take a, a branch off of a tree? You guys ever try to do that when the tree is somewhat healthy and you grab the, and you think it's not going to be a big deal and you start pulling and pulling and pulling? And is it, is it hard to do that? I was just talking to, to Jerry uh, Liston, which by the way, he was walking and he walks like, I don't know, 50 miles a day or something like that. But anyways, Jerry Liston on Saturday, he was walking. He came back to, he was telling me this this morning. He came back to his truck. He put his hand on his truck and he didn't even have any weight on his, on this leg. And all of a sudden he, he heard a loud snap. Yeah, his hamstring had something that had ruptured there. 
And I just thought, wow, that, that's exactly what rend means. It means to really rupture. It means to tear. It means to take, right? Rend and hand over. Yet even now, declares the Lord, Joel 2, 12, 13 says, Return to me with all your heart, because we have left him, right? With fasting and weeping, with mourning, some serious things we have to consider, but we're not going to talk about it today. Verse 13 says this, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts. It's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to do more things so that God can love us more. It's not about us trying to do all these things that are going to say, No, God, now now, now that you see that I've done all these things, you'll know that I'm right. you know that my heart is good. You see, it's not about that. It's about rendering our heart, ripping, tearing it out. Not, obviously not physically. But the spiritual centeredness of us and saying, God, here it is. Here I am. I am going to sacrifice. In other words, I'm going to recognize that, that man realize that my heart is not right. And I'm going to rend it. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take work. But God, here I am before you. And I'm going to offer it up to you. I'm going to give it over to you and say, God, you have something of, I value this, but guess what? You have something that is way better. And I believe that to be true. And so I am willing now to rend, to do this hard work, to tear it literally and say, no, I'm not of this world. And you are the only one that can fix this heart. You are the only one that can x-ray and see me and see that my heart is not right. You are the one that I'm willing to do this sacrifice for because I know that your heart is so much better than mine. Rend and hand over. Rend your hearts, not your garments. It's about the inside condition of your heart, not about the outside action, folks. You see, if we do that, then the action will follow. You see. Second thing is rend. First one, realize. Second one, rend your heart. Hand it over. The third thing, repent. Psalm 51, 17 says this. Sacrifices of our God, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and what? Contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A feeling, you know, my, my vocabulary just jumped as far as definition because I looked up all these words. <laughs> Contrite means this, feeling or expressing remorse or penitence. Expressing remorse or penitence. You know, it's, I, I, I'm, it amazes me sometimes. I amaze myself. <laughs> it's not a good thing, actually, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I amaze myself how, how flippant I am when it comes to God forgiving me. I, I, you know, I just kind of drop by. Oh, God, can you forgive me of this? Thanks. See you later. You know, kind of walk away. Uh, you know, we do that. I know I do that. I'm amazed that, that I don't really express this, right? This contrite heart. I, I love when, when we see people in the, in the Bible and they begin to, like, really show this contrition, right? Really can start to show this, this contrite heart. And David was such a great picture of what it looked like. There's so many people that just, what? They tore their clothes. They, they put ashes over their head. They fasted. They were weeping. They were mourning. They were doing all these things. And they're like, well, no, that, that guy was really, 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 really key. He was sorry. You know, he repented. He was showing his con- And it wasn't for the sake of the audience either. It wasn't for the sake of the people that were around him. 
there's moments in my life where it's been just nothing but me and God, and I'm doing this very thing that David is expressing this weeping this morning. This, God, I'm so sorry. When God reveals the fullness of what we have done, right? There should be a moment, there should be at least a pause in our spirit that says, God, I am so sorry for this. And there should be a genuine expression, right? There should be this genuine expression of, no, I am, Lord, I am so, so sorry. We need to repent. We need to repent, right? That's the third thing that we need to do. We need to repent and sincerely do that, expressing remorse and penitence, a broken and contrite heart. And guess what? God will not despise that. We think that's just the opposite, right? That it's too big of a deal, God, what I've done. I can't come before you. Because look what I just did. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Come to me. I'm not going to despise that action. I will despise the sin. And get, but guess what? I love that because at least you're recognizing. At least you're showing the humility. At least you're showing the possibility that, man, I got it wrong. That me, Lindsay, got it wrong. At least you're showing that degree. And now, guess what? I could do something with that. I can do something with that. See, God loves a broken heart. God loves when we come before him and say, God, now that I realize my heart is not right, now, Lord, now that you've shown me this x-ray, now, Lord, would you help me to express my true remorse and my penitence of what I've done? You know, one of the things that, that I realize, and, and even as I see this, that God will not despise it, I think sometimes we're best, we're the best at beating ourselves up, right? So there's just this balance of people that just are flippant, but then there's this other thing that we just kind of stay there, right? We stay there and we just keep kicking ourselves. I used to take, uh, I took guitar lessons first time. Uh, we offered it here 28 years ago as a free thing, yeah. And we started with about 50 people or so. And then by the end of the six-week period, there's like three of us. And so I'm like, wow. And the instructor said something interesting. He said, you know, um, Christians are often the worst uh, students that I have. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. You know why? And I said, why? He goes, because they don't allow themselves to make mistakes. They don't allow themselves to make mistakes. Who plays guitar? Raise your hand. Okay. When you guys first picked out that instrument, did you guys just start playing? You know, you guys didn't start doing that, right? You guys didn't do a solo. <laughs> it might have been a solo string. Boom, 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 boom. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I mean, God loves that when we pluck that one string. You know what I mean? God loves that, that, that we don't have it figured out. What he doesn't like is when we don't repent, and when we don't come before him, when we don't say, God, I, my heart's messed up. See, when we get there, we also need to be able to forgive ourselves just as God forgives us, and we need to move on. Repent, turn back to God, know that he's not despised by that, that he loves that. He loves a broken heart. Repent. That's the third thing. And the last thing, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. This is such a great, 
Such a great passage. I'm going to read it to you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You know, those of us who know Chuck Cockerham, um, he came to a place of, uh, hey, if you don't get this done, you're going to probably die within like a next, the next week. And so guess what he did? He went in and he got it done, right? He had a triple bypass surgery. Triple bypass surgery. And I was thinking about that, that, that God wants to do this work that only he can do. He's the skilled spiritual surgeon. He is the skilled spiritual surgeon that we need. There is nobody else that I would rather have do this surgery, right? I was talking to Chuck before he was going to go in, and he was talking to the surgeon. And he said, hey, how many of these have you done? <laughs> That's a great question, right? <laughs> that is a good question. Because I don't know about you, but when I go into the, some of these hospitals, these, these guys look like they're like in their 20s or something. I'm like, are you the nurse? Like, no, I'm the doctor. I'm like, what? Can I get a second opinion or second doctor in here? <laughs> but fortunately, this guy that Chuck had was an uh, older gentleman. Um, he goes, man, I, I can't even count how many times I've done this. Okay, good. Give me some gas and let's go. You know, one of those things. But we have to allow God now to do the surgery, you see. Because it's, it does no good for us to, to, to realize it does no good, right? It does no good for us to repent. It does no, no good for us unless we, guess what, allow God to do the work. And guess what will happen when we do this? God will actually replace, right? Both of these will be replaced. They'll be renewed. The heart that is stubborn, rebellious, and sensitive. The one that is stone. <clears throat> Here's the good news. God will replace that with one that is soft, that is impressionable, that is responsive. Isn't that good news? To know that it's not about our action. It's not about anything, our garment. It's not about our external expression but it's about the internal condition. That's what it's about. So Chuck could have known all these things that were true. Chuck could have seen the x-ray and he saw saw that he needed that work to be done. And it would have done him no good if he wouldn't have went to the hospital and if he would have said, Doc, I've seen the x-rays, I've seen, and I read what's going to happen if I don't do this. And guess what? That's all right. I'm done. Don't lay a finger on me. I'm just going to go home. And it's amazing to me how often we could do that on a Sunday morning, right? That we can say to God, I'm good. Even though I know that my heart is not right. Even though I know that my heart is suffering. Even though I know that that if you did this, that I would function better as a disciple of yours, right? If I sacrifice my heart for something that is of much more value, something that is so much better than anything that I could ever offer up, God, you want to give me something better. Do you guys believe that this morning? And we ask the worship team to come on up.
just want to review with you guys really quick the four things. Sacrifice of the heart needs for us to realize, first and foremost, that our heart is not good. We need to rend. We need, there's a, a physical picture of uh, this, this act. I want you guys to see it because it is. It's going to be hard to do that. To rend, to rip, to take out, and then offer up, right? To rend it. And then after that, repent and say, man, Lord, you are the one. And, and I express this remorse, a contrite heart I know that you will not despise. And give this over to you. And then lastly, replace. Let God do the work. Let God do the work. Let God do the work. In other words, guys, every time we come and we hear God's word, there's something in us, in our spirit, that he wants to operate on. You guys get it? But there's an our part in that. There's an our part on that, a willingness to sacrifice our own hearts, our own, what we think is right, and say, no, God, you are the one. You are the one. Let him do that work. Would you do that this morning? Would you let him do the work? Let him do the work. Do you guys believe that these words are true? That the God that inspired these words to be written is true? Because these two guys, they were, that wrote these things, Ezekiel and Joel, these two guys, they, they understood that, they're, that not only were their people in trouble, their people were taking, they were, they were run over, they were taken over. But they understood why, because their heart wasn't right. And God will go out of his way. He will go out of his way to say, no, you're, you're mine. You're mine. So can we do that this morning? Allow God to do that work in us? Can we let him get that spiritual scalpel ready? You guys willing, willing to do that this morning? Yes? Because if not, I don't want to entertain you. You know what I mean? I could tap dance. You know, I don't want to do that. I could even do hand bone. But I don't want to do that. I want to just bring God's word, let it speak to you, and know that it's true. So is it true? Can I get an amen? amen. All right, let me pray. We're going to go.